Hey, good morning. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. And I, I know that if you've heard me speak before, uh, you might know that I, I like to use humor in some of my messages. Um, I don't think I'm typecast as the funny guy on staff. I mean, all of our staff are pretty funny, especially that Sean guy. Like, if you get to know him, he'll have you in stitches. Um, but I wanted to give you a warning today. If you're settling in for some good laughs, not today. Um, we're nearing the end of our series on the journey to the cross. And today we're talking, not surprisingly, about the crucifixion and the cross. And this is some dark material. Um, if there's some younger ones in the room, just want to give you that kind of qualifier up front. Um, so just let you know there is some imagery and, and conversation that might be a little darker. Also, not just a disclaimer for kids, but for adults in the room, some of the content today may bring up difficult moments in your own life. And if that's the case, feel free to take a break. Get up and get some space. Um, I won't get offended, and I, I won't think that you're doing it because you're offended by me, okay? <laughs> so as a kid, I, I grew up with the cross. I grew up in a, a number of churches in Thunder Bay, uh, including Redwood, where the cross was regularly taught and preached about, where it was sung about, where it was on the top of buildings in the sanctuaries. And I accepted Jesus and what he did on the cross when I was six years old. I, I knew what it meant. I mean, I, I felt like I had been there and I had bought the t-shirt, like I got it. And, and maybe that's you too. Maybe you feel like you understand it, like you get it. The problem with that kind of thinking is there's a major flaw when we allow the cross and Jesus' crucifixion to lose its sense of meaning, when it becomes just part of the background noise. And so today, I hope that we can bring it to the foreground again for you and for me. Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross is not just something that saved you or I from hell when we were six years old. His act saves you today and tomorrow and until the end of time. So as we start, let's take a moment. We're going to do something a little different. I want to encourage you to ask these two questions of Jesus. And we're going to take, some, we're going to take a, a moment of silence to invite him to speak to us. So here's the two questions. Jesus, why did you do it? Why did you do it? And what shall I do? What's, what should be my response? So I'm going to start off by prayer. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit would speak to us in these questions. And then I'm going to take a moment of silence, a minute. For some, that might seem really short. For others, it might seem really long. Uh, but we're going to take time to hear from the Holy Spirit what he wants to speak specifically to each one of us. So let's pray and then take that moment. Jesus, we invite you to speak this morning to us on those two questions. Would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit? Jesus, why did you do it? And what shall I do? What shall we do? So Lord, we quietly listen for the response and we gaze at your cross this morning.
Amen. So as I said, I, I grew up with the cross. And for much of my childhood and teenage years, although it was part of my story, part of who I am, at times I became numb to it, hearing it over and over again. Now fast forward to February 2004. A new movie had come out, and it was called The Passion of the Christ. Michelle, my now wife, and I had this, just started dating. And although it may be not that a conventional dating movie, we went to the theater in Belleville, Ontario, to see it. And the movie, the visual presentation of the crucifixion of Jesus and the scenes leading up to it left me speechless. Literally no words. Actually, everybody left after quiet. The cross was again made alive in a fresh and kind of jolting way for me. I didn't want to become numb to it again. I wanted it to change me, continue to remind me of what Jesus did, the depth of his sacrifice and the significance of it. So we said nothing. We just pictured the scenes and the experience in our minds over and over. I may have said a few words to Michelle, dropping her off that night, but most of the evening for me after the movie was spent in silence and solitude, considering what I had just experienced. A famous Christian author says about silence and solitude. Solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is the place of conversion, the place where the old self dies and the new self is born. That night I was having another conversion experience where I had been shocked to this time pondering and considering Christ's sacrifice again. You see, this story isn't just a story written down in, in a book for us to just read. It's the very real story of the one who loves you the most, who went through some of the most emotional, psychological, spiritual, and physical pain on our behalf. As we read it today, I would invite you to consider what Jesus goes through in the events leading up to the cross. What does he endure? So as we start reading, remember we've been traveling through the book of Matthew, and just before this, uh, Jesus was abandoned by his followers and friends. He was handed over to the Roman authorities, and he's been betrayed by the crowd with a loud chanting of, crucify him. So what else can happen to him? What else does he have to endure for us? Well, let's read in Matthew 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. 
Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heap insults on him. So pause for a second and breathe. Consider what we just read. Jesus endured so much. Even as I watch the passion of the Christ in the theater, I still feel like I don't fully understand the pain that we're looking at here. And we're, we're going to look at the way Jesus suffered, the three sufferings he endured. We're going to look at how he was mocked unjustly, how he was stripped of all dignity, and how he was abused physically. Then we're going to come back to those two questions that we had at the beginning, that we pondered then. So first off, he was mocked unjustly. When I was in elementary school, I went to a school that no longer exists called Forest Park. I was in French immersion, and I would say that I was probably in the group of guys in our grade that were the more popular or more liked. I was by no means a leader in that group. Actually, I probably just got in the group because I lived near these guys. But nonetheless, I was in the group. And there were other groups. And then there were people who had no group. One of those guys who didn't have a group we will call Tim. Tim didn't have a teacher or a doctor or a business person or a lawyer as his parent. You see, Tim came from a, a less well-off home. Tim didn't wear the same clothes as us. He often got picked last in sports. And Tim just didn't fit in. And he was mocked because he was different. I might have even mocked him, I'm not sure, I don't remember doing so, but I imagined to fit in. Either I mocked him or I remained quiet as others did. One day in grade eight, when I was 13, Tim brought a, a deck of cards to school and he was super excited about this deck of cards. He, he would play with it all the time until a teacher would tell him to put it away. And then, and then at like free time and recess, he would bring it out and ask people to play with him. But because he was Tim, nobody would play with him. Then near the end of the day, I had to use the bathroom, and I saw something about the bathroom that I still remember to this day. It was Tim. He was standing in front of a urinal, and in that urinal were some of his cards that someone else, probably someone from my friend group, had thrown in there and then urinated on. So what did I do? You know what? I did nothing. I didn't comfort Tim. I didn't seek justice for Tim. I just walked away. Tim was mocked and bullied unjustly. He was treated as less of a person because of the family and circumstance he came from. There was no one to stop the mocking. Either people were silent or they were joining in the bullying. Imagine what that must have been like for Tim. Now picture Jesus. This is true of what he endured as well. He was alone and mocked. Those who didn't know where Jesus came from, the, the company of Roman soldiers, put a mock 
crown of thorns on, on his head and, and a mock robe and, and gave him a mock staff and made fun of him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They didn't know he was their creator. That he literally made their great-great-grandparents from the dust. They didn't know he was the king of the universe and of all time. It wasn't just them, though. It was the Jews themselves. Probably many of the same people that a week earlier laid out the red carpet with the palm branches and were worshiping him. And now they look at the mock plaque above his head and they're yelling along with the religious leaders, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Meanwhile, ironically, through Jesus' submission to this mockery and suffering, he is in fact paving the way to save all of humanity. And there's no one, no one to stop the mockery. Jesus isn't alone. These last number of Sundays, uh, Sean has been reading from the Psalms. And the Psalms in the Old Testament often give us voice for our suffering. And it gives Jesus voice for his as well. As it says in Psalm 69, I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. No one came to his aid. Either they were riled up and angry with the crowd or too scared to do anything and remain silent. Jesus continued to endure, and it doesn't stop there. Second of all, he was stripped of all dignity. This word dignity actually is an interesting one. It actually has changed meaning over the last hundred years. Originally, it didn't have to do with people's inherent value. If someone was dignified, it meant they, they came from a respectable family or they had accomplished something and had some merit. They had achieved a certain status. The concept of human dignity didn't really get recognized, at least in a written way, until 1948, when the United Nations set out their Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And it says this in Article 1 of that, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. Now we use this word dignity or the phrase human dignity to express that every person, no matter where they come from or what they accomplish, has inherent value. It doesn't matter their class or age or race or gender or anything, just the fact that they are human. And for those in the room here and online who believe in what the Bible says, we have even more reason to believe that because in there it says that we are created, each one of us, in the image of God. So we have value, we have dignity, just being human. And when I think of human dignity and violations of dignity, I, I don't know about you, but my mind drifts to the past number of years in these eye-opening stories in the news during the pandemic, some of our most vulnerable people in society. The pandemic highlighted the lack of care for many of our aging population, those in long-term care homes. And just so you know, I don't think long-term care homes are bad or evil, but thanks to COVID and the news, we've seen that a number of those places throughout our country that were meant to take care of the vulnerable and provide dignity to them were often doing the opposite. There are great places, great facilities for those who are changing their living circumstances, but there are also have, have been some bad examples where dignity was not given and where the grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads 
and just our elderly friends were not seen as people created in the image of God. They may have been seen as a number or a job or a dollar figure. Their dignity was taken away from them at one of their most vulnerable times of life. And maybe you've heard those news stories of the vulnerable having dignity stolen from them, and it angers you. I I get mad too. But here's the deeper examination of our own hearts. Devaluing, dehumanizing, making less than human happens all the time. Maybe even we do it. For example, when we talk about pornography and the destructive force that it is, even from the church pulpit, we often only talk about the sin of lust. Rarely is it shared about how people in photos and videos are actually making, those people are being made as less than human, as objects of gratification. Or examine your workplace. Are people at times seen as pawns for mine or someone else's success to climb the ladder? Or if I'm at the top of the ladder, are they seen as cogs in a machine, as less than human? Whether it's younger or older, those people who are not like me, people who think or behave in ways that don't fit with the way I behave or think, how do I see them? Now, Jesus has been doing a work for, in me, and I'm not fully there yet, but he is calling me and all of us into being present with people, seeing them as created in the image of God, and that they have immeasurable value, no matter what value the world places on them. Also in the story of Jesus, his dignity was taken and literally stripped away from him. I mean, I would be embarrassed today if I was standing up here and my fly was undone. Uh, You might forget that moment quickly, but I would probably be kicking myself for days and, you know, checking the live stream to see if you could see it. But Jesus' clothes were stripped off his body. And then he was put on a cross for all to see walking by. I can't imagine what that was like. But that dignity stripping, that happened even long before he was up on the cross. He was object. He was, he was made less than human to the Roman company when they pushed a crown of thorns on his head and made him their mock king. For the Jewish leaders, Jesus was also less than human. He wasn't a human. He was an example to everyone else, what happens when you defy their authority as his broken body went through the streets. And then he was made less than human, a target of ridicule, as those walked by, mocking him as they saw the plaque above his head. He was no longer treated as human, as having inherent value. He was treated as less than, without dignity as a spectacle for all to see. So on top of all of this, the most obvious suffering that Jesus endured in the story, the third and final one I will share today, is that he was abused physically. I shared in the beginning of the story of being speechless speechless as I walked out of the movie, The Passion of the Christ. 
probably the scenes that stuck with me the most are the physical abuses that Jesus endured. I simply can't imagine the pain that he went through. I mean, I, I play sports, I ski, I snowboard, and I go pretty hard. My wife suggests that I should be a little more careful. Um, I've never broken anything except arguably a rib once, but it's inconclusive on the x-ray. And my, my nose a few times, but I have a good chiropractor friend that, from Edmonton that can put it back in place. But I, I can't say that I've been through any kind of major physical pain. I imagine some in this room and online have been through excruciating pain, whether through accidents or, or treatments for different ailments like cancer. But I also can say I, I've, I've never really been hit by someone intentionally. I, I, I don't know what it's like to receive the anger of somebody else in physical violence. But one of my roles here at the church is to teach our plan to protect, to protect the most vulnerable in our congregation. And I know the stats. I know that in a room this size, and for those online, that there are a number of you who have been on the receiving end of physical violence. If that's you, I'm sorry. If you're there now, please talk to someone. What has been done to you is not right. Let people help you because you shouldn't be alone. For those in person, I want to encourage you, pray for the courage to come talk to one of our pastors today and share your story. We would love to help direct you where you can get better help for that. And for those either in person or online, you can also simply send us an email. Uh, here's our email address, at redwoodpark.ca, whatever our name is, and at redwoodpark.ca, there's mine, Joel. Um, but you could fill that in with Melissa or Jay or, or Caitlin or Sean, any one of us. We know your story might be difficult to share, but we want to walk through with you and point you to places of healing and hope. Jesus had no one as he endured blow after blow. The crown of thorns placed on his head to mock him was also to make him bleed as those half-inch sharp thorns pierced his skin. The staff they gave him to mock his kingship, they took away and beat him over the head multiple times, probably inducing concussion. His journey to the cross, it was supposed to be his lot to carry his heavy cross to Golgotha, but they made a man named Simon carry it, probably not because they had pity on Jesus, but probably because Jesus was suffering so badly from his wounds that it would take too long for him to carry it there himself. Then there's this strange thing with the wine laced with gall. Why, why did they offer it to Jesus, and why did he reject this wine? Some think that it was an act of kindness from the executioners, maybe a painkiller for what was next. Others don't give them that much credit and insist on their cruelty, saying that they give it to those being crucified so they don't squirm and struggle when they're nailed and tied to the crosses. Either way, Jesus rejected it, and he leaned into the full feeling of the physical pain for me and for you as his hands and feet were nailed to the cross. And he was hoisted up to suffer through about six hours or so of excruciating pain until he eventually died. 
So that is a story. This is what Jesus endured through the events leading up to and including the crucifixion. He was mocked unjustly. He was stripped of all dignity. And he was abused physically. His story, it silences me. It causes me to pause and process. It points me to the two questions we began with. And let's conclude with those two questions. Jesus, why did you do it? Why did he do it? And what shall we do? Why, why did he do it? As I mentioned, growing up in the church, I I felt like I knew what the cross, what it meant to save me from hell, right? Well, yes, and also no. Yes, in the sense that in the crucifixion, Jesus beat death on the cross and saved us from eternal separation from God, but through us accepting what he did on the cross and through resurrection. We can be saved from hell and, and we can live forever with God. So yes, but also no. No in the sense that such just a simplistic and incomplete view of Jesus and what he did on the cross devalues that. It says elsewhere in the Bible, talking about Jesus, our priest, and referring to his suffering, in the book of Hebrews, it says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, a more complete answer to the why question, why did Jesus do it, is not only to save us someday in the future from hell, it's actually to identify with us and save us now. He has come to bring his kingdom to earth, a new way of life, a new way of doing things, to have his kingdom live inside of us. So he identifies in the cross with the Tims who were mocked and bullied. He invites Tim to his new kingdom now. He also invites Tim's bullies and the ones like me who stayed silent as he was bullied. He invites us and identifies with us. He identifies with the most vulnerable whose dignity has been stolen from them to bring his kingdom to them now. As well, he endured the crucifixion for those who have seen the vulnerable as less than human, as a number or a dollar or something to be used for their own benefit. Even as we dehumanize others, he comes to forgive us. And his heart is to call us to repent, to change the way that we're doing things and to be saved now. He identifies in his body with those who have endured great pain at the hands of others or because sickness and death still exist in this world. And again, he wants to transform the heart of the abuser to forgive them and bring them to himself as well. So why did he do it? To identify with us and save us all not just from future separation with God, but to put the kingdom of God inside us now and to save this world now, to change our lives right now. The crucifixion of Jesus is about transforming our lives now. 
And that leads us to our second question. What shall we do? What shall I do? This question might be familiar to you if you've ever read the book of Acts, which is right after the biographies of Jesus. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, weeks after the cross and resurrection, shares about the crucifixion with a crowd of people. And they respond with the same question. Here's what it says in Acts 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? When I watch the passion of the Christ and when I read about Jesus' crucifixion, I am cut to the heart. Maybe you are too. So what shall we do? Peter's response is repent and be baptized. Now, what does that mean? Peter was calling all in the crowd to turn away from their ways of doing things and turn towards Jesus' kingdom. The actual act of baptism, getting in the water and coming out, is saying, I'm done with the old way. I want to follow this. And the this in, in baptism with Jesus is not just a way, but it's a following of Jesus. He's calling us to his kingdom. We are called to identify with Jesus. We just watched in this story how Jesus endured every kind of suffering so that we, so that he could reach out to you and to I to identify with us. Our only right response is to identify with him, to choose to follow him and his new kingdom way of doing things. When we choose to make Jesus our leader, our our king, not, not our mock king, but our real king, he begins to make his kingdom happen inside of us. As we choose to identify ourselves with Jesus, we find ourselves standing with and for the mocked and bullied for the Tims. We make sure they're not alone. We bring dignity to those who have lost dignity and, and, we, ha- and we advocate for the most vulnerable. We bring healing and wholeness to the hurt, the broken, and the abused because we identify with Jesus and he's all about the little guy. N.T. Wright says in his Lent for Everyone, uh, maybe some of you are reading this devotional, if you fight fire with fire, fire still wins. And Jesus has come to win vic- the victory over fire itself, over the rule of the bullies and the power brokers, in favor of the poor, the meek, the mourners, the pure in heart. As Jesus identifies with you and you identify with him, we find ourselves identifying with all of these. We identify with the Tims, the devalued, and the abused. So let this cross and Jesus himself bring you healing if that is you today. Like those in Acts, we are also cut to the heart and find ourselves identifying with the mockers, the dehumanizers, and the abusers. Let the cross and Jesus bring you conviction today and then forgiveness and then a new way of doing things in his new kingdom. How do you identify today? Where do you find yourself? 
What shall you do? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Those words seem so lacking for what you did here. But thank you. Thank you that you went to the cross and identified with us. Whether we are being mocked, bullied, abused, whatever it may be, you identify with us. But also, God, if we're the mockers and the bullies and the abusers, I thank you that you came here as well to bring forgiveness and your new kingdom to come live in us. Jesus, that's our heart's desire, that this cross, that your crucifixion would not just become part of the background, but that it would be part and, and full, full of how we live our lives in your new kingdom. We seek to honor you with our lives, that your crucifixion would mean something to us, and not just to us, but that you would transform our hearts so much that it would impact others, that we would stand with those who are mocked, that we would bring dignity to those who have dignity stolen, and that we would help be part of the healing process for those who have experienced abuse or who suffer through pain. We invite you to transform our hearts. We identify with you, Jesus. Continue to lead our lives, we pray in your name. Amen.